electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with John Fort and Carl Quintanilla. Coming up on the show today, the capital gains tax debate, what it means for tech founding companies and the entire investment ecosystem that exists around tech and startups. Plus, we've got Nextdoor CEO Sarah Fryer. She once helped run Square with Jack Dorsey. Her thoughts on crypto, Apple and content moderation and earnings from Snap and Intel have shares moving in opposite directions this morning. Intel now down 6%. We will dive into those stocks and some opportunities there. Yep, speaking of which, the market's higher right now, but that overhang for stocks includes that Bloomberg headline that the White House is looking at raising the top capital gains tax rate. Could have big implications for investors, for tech, for VC, for private equity in particular. More on that in a minute, including why our first guest says it will be the death, perhaps, of Silicon Valley. But, John, uh, you got to talk some Intel to start. Yeah, we do. Today's most important thing in tech comes from Intel. Shares down about 6% this morning. Uh, the first quarter with CEO Pat Gelsinger fully at the helm. And, guys, this is a story about turnarounds, data center, and expectations. But data center in particular here, there's this chip shortage. There are margins in the data center. There's competition that Intel has to deal with uh, from AMD from NVIDIA, Pat Gelsinger says that they're determined to gain market share, even though they're constrained here. But, you know, as I've seen some analysts say, if you were bearish on Intel before, you have all the same reasons to be bearish after this quarter. If you were bullish, if you think Pat Gelsinger can turn it around, there's nothing in this quarter necessarily to make you think that that has changed. But, you know, at the same time, because they had some beats in Q1, and not necessarily a raise to full-year guidance, it kind of makes the second half of the year perhaps uh, not look as good unless they're sandbagging. And so, you know, when we're heading out of uh, this pandemic in many cases, heading out, not out of it yet, uh, a quarter from a company like Intel matters a lot, Deirdre. Yeah, I mean, you put both sides playing out here very well, John. I mean, there has been this excitement about Pat Gelsinger coming back before the results, shares had risen some 18% since that announcement. But the reality starts to sink in when you see the results, the ambitions of those long-term plans, right? Building a fab business is a two- to three-year plan. And as he says, he's playing offense now, not defense. So he has to defend market share, but he also says he's going to be aggressive. And, Carl, those are very costly ambitions. 
Yep. And there had been some headlines that they raised guidance, but a very cloudy picture on the guidance because so much of this was pre-announced and their 105 is still below the streets 111. So Intel is an important story to watch. Guys, let's turn back to the uh, potential hike on the capital gains tax rate. Our next guest tweeting last night that the president's proposal uh, on capital gains could potentially kill the golden goose that is Silicon Valley. Uh, Draper Associates founder and managing partner Tim Draper is with us. Tim, happy Friday. Good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's always good to have you. Um, I should have known you would come out swinging on this topic in a very provocative tweet. <laughs> you sound pretty um, confident that what we heard, or at least we think we heard yesterday, is going gonna, is gonna to hammer out in policy. Do you not believe there'll be some compromises along the way? Well, I, I just think, what are they thinking? Because actually higher taxes tend to lower revenue. So uh, right now they need a lot of revenue. They've been printing money. And, uh, and if you bring in higher taxes, it, it lowers the motivation of the people. Uh, if, you, if you are working towards some goal, or you're a startup and you're saying, I'm gonna build something of great value. And then, then you realize the government takes more than half of it. You, you're working through July before you even uh, have started to work for yourself. And, and that motivation starts to, to dwindle. And it's a little like, I mean, South Korea versus North Korea. South Korea, you've got a, a wonderful uh, democracy, a free market, a capitalistic system. North Korea, you've got a socialist dictatorship where the government tells you everything that you want to do. The more you get toward North Korea, the worse things get. Because uh, the average, it's been a 70-year experiment. And the average South Korean makes 460 times which, what the average North Korean makes. And that's including purchasing power. And the average South Korean is now four inches taller than the average North Korean. Uh, it, that socialist system does not work, hasn't ever. And, and when you raise taxes, you lower productivity. And it's been proven through years and years and years and country after country after country country. You need freedom. You need that, that incentive to make great things happen. And, uh, and that freedom is what has made America great. And I encourage uh, people to realize how important uh, that freedom is for America. Tim, you're, you're losing me with the uh, North Korean example. There are too many differences <laughs> well, I'm sorry. there I, to count. I, it's been a hot button for me because for the past 70 years, We've had that demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. And I've, I met this okay, woman but, from North Korea, and she, and she told me that they get whatever the government tells them for lunch, which is 24 kernels of corn. And, and they, yeah, but that's they not what we're talking about here. We, we are, and, and we are not there, that, Tim, you, in terms of this capital gains tax. If you start having tax. government control like that, it absolutely destroys an economy. Uh, yes, in the case of North Korea, but the United States and this capital gains tax is not North Korea. And I know that you faced a lot no, of blowback but, but, but on But what happens when Twitter. it starts going beyond the uh, beyond fifty percent, and suddenly you realize that more than half? But is that not is that not too far a leap to make right is now? Going to the government. Okay, you know, I I, I think that's too far 
a leap to make at the moment. But let's talk about, I guess, American history, what we have seen. We haven't seen this major correlation between capital gains increases and market reactions. We've actually seen the market um, hold up quite well. And I know this was brought up on Twitter, too. You have seen some really great companies, Microsoft, Apple, being created when the capital gains tax was higher. Actually, that's uh, that isn't Right. I mean, the capital gains tax has dropped significantly over the over the last uh, since Reagan and uh, and it stayed pretty low. And 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 that has made a big impact on the people who have started businesses in the Silicon Valley. And that has been great for Silicon Valley. And it's been great for America's golden goose. And you don't want to lose it. And if you start if you start taxing capital gains at a high rate, uh, people start losing their incentive. And, and you look at it all around the world, everywhere else around the world, where, they, where they, they become burdensome, where the government becomes burdensome and people have less incentive to, to create great value. Yeah, Tim, I, 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 I hear what you're very saying. Dangerous. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, tax increases overall. Capital gains tax affects, you know, millionaires for, for the most part. I, I, I'm not saying this is good policy. No, no, I think no, we need to it, dig it no, for the most part. The yeah, I, I'm not missing a point. You're making a broader gains, point. You're making a broader point about incentive. Yeah, it's the trickle down thing. I, I know what you're saying. No, no, if, there's no if the capital. Down. If this a capital is, gains, this is bottom up. It's, no, it's Amazon you warehouse have workers for greatness. You Amazon warehouse workers are not affected by the capital gains tax. If you build something, if you're building to something incredibly great, which is sort of that American spirit, you're building. And, and if, if the capital gains tax is oppressive, you have less of an incentive to do yeah, it. Yeah, this is like arguing that the salt tax. To do it in America. This is like arguing that, that salt is an attack on the, on the middle class. It's, it's mostly, I mean, I don't want to pay higher you know, property taxes either higher taxes overall but anyway uh i think if the capital gains tax increase is going to kill silicon valley silicon valley deserves to die i mean people don't build tesla trying to make something great happen for the short term and they're doing extraordinary work to make something great happen and they should and uh, you know this makes me think of the beatles song tax man you absolutely don't want those taxes going all the way up there so that people are just working for the government but i'm not sure that this is what this is all about. Are we going to talk some crypto too? We, we can't have you without sure. talking crypto. Sure, we got we got Coinbase out there. We're very excited about that. Um, uh, the crypto world is. Uh, hey, we got a better currency now. Uh, Bitcoin's just a better currency. We've got a currency that uh, is global and open and transparent and not tied to any any uh, uh, government intervention. Uh, uh, when they print billions of dollars, trillions, quadrillions of dollars, um, we get the uh, the threat of inflation. But uh, the rest of us uh, who own Bitcoin are looking and saying, well, you know, we've ha- we have a better currency now. Tim, um, a couple of different things. One is um, you do have some technicians looking at the charts who argue got to get back above 60K, for example, at J.P. Morgan. They say 
Otherwise, the momentum signals start to fall apart in the near term. Others say um, we are not expecting the historic drops that we've gotten in the early stages of Bitcoin's volatility. Which, where are we? Where, where is your head on that? Just on the chart. Well, I always look at, um, at volatility as one Bitcoin is still worth one Bitcoin. All these fiat currencies are are very volatile against Bitcoin as they slowly disappear from from view. Uh, we have a better currency. When you have a better current, when you have a better anything, uh, it slowly but surely moves through the population, and people say, "Hey, this is better. I can save two and a half to four percent when my uh, on when every time I swipe my credit card. I can I can do micro payments. I can send money overseas. I can." Uh, pay employees overseas, and uh, and if you pay in Bitcoin, boy, those employees are very happy, particularly if they're in Argentina or Venezuela or Nigeria, uh, because those currencies drop significantly every single year. And talk about talk about trust in a government. If if you don't trust your government to hold the currency high enough then there is also no incentive to build anything of great value because you realize that it's going to just drop 70% a year. So you build, build up something of great value, and then every, every year the, the currency drops 70% in Argentina or Nigeria. Uh, they love Bitcoin there. They, they're saying, oh, my gosh, it's our savior. I can build something of value and hold it. Hey, Tim, you're talking about Bitcoin as a currency, but, you know, incredibly volatile. And most of the people we talk to see its value as, you know, an asset class, a store of value. Why would people want to use it if you're a long term bull and think that it's going to go higher and higher? Is the better use case as an asset class? um, It's great for an asset class, but it also will be used as a currency. We have a company called OpenNote that allows... Um, oh, when <laughs> um, it's already happening. I mean, many retailers are now accepting Bitcoin. I know Draper University accepts Bitcoin for um, for tuition. <laughs> That's worked out very well for us, by the way. Um, and uh, and we accept rent and Bitcoin. A lot of uh, retailers are already accepting Bitcoin through OpenNode, and it operates faster than the Visa network. And uh, and it allows that retailer to save two and a half to four percent that they don't have to pay the banks when they swipe a credit card. So uh, this is the beginning of it becoming a currency. And I do know that 80% of the money is controlled by women uh, in the retail world. And women only have about one out of every 14 Bitcoin wallets. So as that retail world starts to shift, the women will be moving into Bitcoin and using it uh, in a significant way. Uh, it's a it's incredibly exciting, uh, and and then the accounting and the taxes can all be paid in Bitcoin. Uh, in uh, as uh, these companies like Cryptio uh, attach to the blockchain, the blockchain keeps perfect records. So why not have all the accounting done uh, in in uh, in Bitcoin on the blockchain? I, I, my big vision is for uh, me to be able to raise a fund. I'm a venture capitalist, to be able to raise a fund in Bitcoin, invest it all in Bitcoin, and have the employees and suppliers all pay their 
I mean, have the companies all pay their employees and suppliers in Bitcoin. We can keep track of everybody's money uh, without without the need for accounting, auditing, bookkeeping, any of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that you know, that if, could be, and the taxes will be automatically taken out. So, I mean, I, I, I would think the government would embrace this, and they are starting to. Tim, if you, if you launch that, uh, we hope you'll come on and talk about it. It'll be fascinating to see something entirely vertical uh, with Bitcoin integrated throughout. A great discussion on the future. It's obviously a moving target, and so are the taxes. Have a good weekend. Great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, we've heard from Tim Draper. We also want to hear from you. For today's crowdsource, we are asking, will a higher capital gains tax, if we get one, kill the next big thing in tech? Tweet us your thoughts. There's a QR code on the bottom left of your screen that goes to our Twitter page, and we'll show some of the responses at the end of today's show. John, we've already got plenty of responses, so keep them coming in. Coming up next on the show, former Square CFO Sarah Fryer, now the chief executive at Nextdoor. We are just getting started here on Tech Check. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Take a quick look at the Nasdaq, currently up one and one-tenth of a percent, erasing yesterday's gains as we see markets rebound from the news yesterday over the capital gains tax. We'll keep an eye on that, and especially some of the tech and momentum plays as the show progresses. Meanwhile, social networking startup Nextdoor seeing massive growth during the pandemic with nearly one out of every three households in the U.S. using the service, I got the chance to catch up with CEO Sarah Fryer in a wide-ranging discussion covering the company's expansion and growth, IPO plans, and more. Take a listen. The last year has been terrific for the Nextdoor platform. Local has never mattered more, and that's brought a lot of people to our platform. They're coming for that trusted information. They're coming for the ability to give and get help, huge during a pandemic, and they're coming to make real-world connections. And so what we saw in our business is we're now in one in three households here in the United States. I think when we spoke last year, it was one in four. We saw our Dow grow 45% year over year. And we saw our most active members actually come and go deeper into the newsfeed. So impressions for Dow are up 20%. So it's been a great story for a pl- from the platform perspective. So you've seen this acceleration throughout the pandemic, but what does Nextdoor look like post-pandemic? Will people continue to use it for the same things, different things? Are there habits that you are already seeing will stick as economies reopen? And essentially, can you sustain the kind of growth that you've seen? 
Yeah, we absolutely believe we can. So I think, first of all, we have become a habit. I love that you use that word. So people have come to know Nextdoor as that place when they want to go hyper-local. Um, we put a lot of work in last year around things like business tools to make sure that we are that place, not just for residents, but also for, say, a local business, uh, a local plumber, a service provider, or even a public agency. We've seen a number of other companies that have benefited as well from pandemic trends. We've seen them go public over the last few months, sort of taking advantage of this moment to show strong financials over the last year and also take advantage of, you know, really receptive market conditions for new listings. How are you thinking about a public listing? And so the first question to answer is always, do we need to raise money? And if we did, could we really use it to accelerate our business? And I think for next door right now, the answer is yes. If we raise money, there's a lot of great things we could put it to. And of course, we want the platform to feel like it's really speaking to you. So there's a lot of investment we can do around things like machine learning, artificial intelligence even. So that's a good reason to raise. Um, of course, you need to be ready to be a public company. Uh, so I want to make sure that we do that well from my experiences at Square. That's important. Um, and the market needs to be ready for you. And you're right, the market is certainly in a very healthy spot at the moment. Then, as you said, you've taken a company public before, Square. What are you looking for to tell you when the time might be right? So one is definitely scale, which I think Nextdoor has. Um, 11 countries, 276,000 neighborhoods, one in three households in the U.S. The second is, do you have a really good monetization engine? And what I got excited about coming to Nextdoor is that I could see that it was there. We built the platform and the ability to now bring on advertisers um, right. This is a very well understood business model and we're doing quite well with big brands, um, the Walmarts, the Home Depots of the world, all the way down to those small local businesses. And I think that may be some of Nextdoor's true differentiation and secret sauce is that ability to go hyper local. Have you been approached by any blank check companies? Is that something you're considering? You know, in the end, I want to come back. It's a fundraise, first and foremost. Um, I think the how you do it, of course, there's a lot more flavors in the market and you want to pick the one that's right for your company. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if I think they're really ultimately that different from one another. So for us, it's really, you know, do we want to raise? How much can we put it to work? Um, and then making sure that we're ready to be a public company. That's what's top of mind, not necessarily the process of how to do it. And perhaps the right investors as well, right? I know that Nextdoor's existing investor base has been really helpful to you. Yes, 100%. When you put people like Mary Meeker in bonds in our last round, you know, folks like Bill Gurley um, from Benchmark have been with us for a long period of time. I mean, these are folks who really do make a difference for you, both in terms of helping you with strategy, with execution, and of course, helping you tell that story broadly. How are you thinking about the upcoming changes to Apple's iOS and some of the privacy controls asking users to opt in or opt out? How is that going to affect Nextdoor? Nextdoor is a proprietary platform. We have first party data. We have built out our own ad tech stack. And so in some ways, it may actually be helpful to Nextdoor because it allows us to catch up to others that are, are older companies that have been around longer, but we're able to really make use of that proprietary data in order to have the best possible outcome for our advertisers. Right. So does that become a competitive advantage once these changes to iOS go into place? Because, you know, we've heard Facebook talk a lot about how it's going to hurt small businesses on its platform, do you think there's an opportunity for them to come on to Nextdoor? Are you guys making that pitch? 
I think it's definitely has potential. Um, as I said, you know, I think for us, it's about how do we go deeper on where our core competitive advantage is. That's that proprietary network, our own ad tech stack, and the fact that we've garnered this trusted relationship. And so in the case of, say, a small business, often they're on the platform, not just as the small business, but often they're there as a neighbor, first and foremost. So we think we're a very welcoming platform um, for exactly that reason. Nextdoor has been criticized for misinformation, for racism on the platform, uh, the role and vetting of so-called community leads. How have you guys tackled this issue over the last year? Yeah, so we have absolutely been hard at work on this. We take it incredibly seriously because there's no way we can be that welcoming platform that I just talked about if everyone coming onto Nextdoor doesn't feel welcomed. Um, we just announced most recently something called an anti-racism notification. It actually builds on a platform we put in place starting in 2015, really steeped in social science. And it's about this idea of slowing people down. A little bit anathema to a lot of other platforms, but we're willing to give up perhaps a little bit of engagement to do the right thing. At a recent hearing, Mark Zuckerberg argued that platforms should be required to show that they can put these kinds of systems in place. Do you agree with that? I do think that platforms have a responsibility, 100%. And so again, it comes back to how did Nextdoor build this? We've always had a layered approach. So from a moderation perspective, rather than just saying it's all about technology, which clearly has failed in many places, we've actually tried to connect a human moderation system to a technology-based platform. Of course, we've known each other since you were CFO at Square, and this was just when the company was sort of experimenting with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Are you surprised at the success and sort of the massive rise into the mainstream that we've seen of cryptocurrencies over the last few years since you left? You know, I, I don't think I am. I definitely was very bought in, as you know, at the time with Square. We were early on it there, um, really thanks to Jack's leadership. Um, but what you saw in crypto was, of course, a way to better democratize finance. If you want to hear more from Sarah Fry, do check out the full interview. You can scan the QR code on your screen and it will send you right to TechCheck's homepage, Carl. Fascinating interview, uh, Dee. And of course, it's great to hear from her on crypto as Square obviously has been one of the leading charging companies on, on the space. Look at uh, Microsoft. Wolf initiates today this morning and outperform 250. They say despite shares already being up better than 15% this year. They see an upside scenario that supports high teens earnings growth, both in 22 and in 23. Julia, you're going to break down the quarter. That's right. Carl Snap reporting accelerating user growth and advertising revenue growth. We'll talk about what's behind that momentum and also what's ahead for the platform. That's coming up after the break. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.
Welcome back to Tech Check here on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Stocks are rebounding today. All three major indices have essentially recovered yesterday's losses. NASDAQ's up a full percent. Intel getting a little punished after earnings, now uh, down just about uh, 6%. And Snap moving higher on earnings, now a $90 billion company. It's almost 2x Twitter, and a lot more on that in a moment, John. Yeah, and it's time for a news update now with Morgan Brennan. Morgan. Hey, John. Well, new home sales jumped more than 20 percent in March, reversing a big drop in February. Despite the rise in sales, though, the median price rose just eight tenths of a percent from year ago levels. Meantime, American Express trimming losses following mixed Q1 results, the shares, that is. Earnings surged past forecasts and the company raised profit guidance for the year. But revenues were light and results were helped by a billion dollar credit reserve release. The maker of Kleenex and Huggies is getting hit by weaker demand and higher costs as the pandemic eases. Kimberly Clark's first quarter earnings and revenue came up short, and the company has lowered its profit outlook. Meantime, with just 91 days before the Summer Olympics, gymnast Simone Biles is switching teams. She is leaving Nike for a new sponsorship deal with Gap's Athleta. Biles is getting her own line of performance wear, and Athleta will also support a platform for Biles to be an activist for women and for fellow female athletes. Deirdre, back to you. It's a big move, Morgan. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Snap out with Q1 results. Julia has a breakdown of the numbers. <laughs> Julia, what a year for Snap up. Nearly 270% over the last 12 months. That's right. That stock moving higher this morning after the company reported its fastest user and revenue growth in over three years in the first quarter. This as its investments in content and different technology tools are paying off. The company added 15 million daily active users with growing engagement with its spotlight content. That's its featured user content and also a 40 percent increase in daily engagement with augmented reality lenses. CEO Evan Spiegel saying augmented reality has huge potential to drive e-commerce down the line. The company also shared a bullish advertising outlook despite the potential for Apple's operating system to limit ad targeting, saying they've developed some tools that could help mitigate any potential damage. And the reopening, rather than pulling people off their phones, seems to be driving story posting and engagement with the Snap map. That is something that analysts see as a potential revenue driver down the line. So with the stock up about 270% in the past 12 months and 73% of analysts having a buyer overweight rating, it seems to indicate that they think the pandemic was a turning point for Snap rather than just a one-time blip with an unusual growth during that limited period. John, Carl? Yep. No, we've certainly talked about pull forwards in the past few days, Julia. Uh, and then you have sort of the broader macro environment of advertising dollars, which we seem to be getting uh, elevated forecasts for day after day. Elevated forecast, but Carl, I think the real question is how much Apple's changes are going to impact each of these platforms and impact them differently. Yesterday, we got a pretty copacetic, you know, commentary from from Snap that they have different ways of working with advertisers, working with brands. They've been a lot more friendly with Apple than, say, Facebook has. Next week, we're going to hear from Facebook, from Pinterest, and from uh, from Twitter, and all of those companies have the potential of having impact from this Apple operating system change. And it seems like Facebook could see the biggest impact. But a lot of these companies expected Apple to roll out that iOS 14 update last quarter. The fact that it's not going to hit into, until two, Q2 may be one reason that those first quarter numbers were even stronger than analyst expectations. 
Julie, I love how one analyst put the SNAP story over the pandemic. He said that it seems to work best in the wild. We've actually seen more engagement since the economy has reopened, unlike what we might expect from a Twitter or Pinterest. So I wonder, does this raise the stake for some of the companies you just mentioned that are up next in terms of their earnings and, you know, questions around whether they can sustain their pandemic gains? Well, look, Deirdre, these four companies, we talk about them a lot together in terms of all being in the social space, but they are really different. I mean, if you look at Snap, it's about connecting with friends. And what Evan Spiegel said yesterday is that as people get out into the world and they're making new friends, they are going back to connect with them on Snap. Snap also has the potential to really make money from interaction on the map app as people leave their houses and actually need to refer to a map again. But I think that if you look at Pinterest, it's a very different story because that's a company that's really about connecting people with content that's particularly useful when they're staying at home. So guidance from Pinterest could be very different. I mean, I've used Pinterest a ton during the pandemic, whether it's for recipes or activities to do with kids. The question is, for Pinterest, do people start using that platform for things like planning vacations, that's to be determined, but we'll be hearing a lot about that next week. All right, Julia, uh, I know you'll continue to watch it, as will we. And still ahead, Apple's data is reportedly being held hostage, and the hackers won't stop calling. Plus, GameStop, AMC, and other Reddit names negative over the last month, but Kathy Wood providing a boost to a new name. We will tell you the stock after the break. Kathy Wood is at it again, buying 5 million shares of the mobile video game platform Skills. Shares are up about 3% here, obviously way down from the 46 or so that we saw back in February. For more on some of the top YOLO meme stock trades that we're calling in a segment that we're calling Trading Boom, we turn to our Kate Rooney. Hey, Kate. Hey, Carl. Plenty of YOLO or you only live once trades to talk about this morning. But first, we've got some new data showing a pivot in what younger traders are buying as the economy reopens. In the first quarter, meme stocks, AMC and GameStop ranked among millennial and Gen Z's top holdings. GameStop at number four, AMC coming in at number seven after not even making the top 100 in the prior quarter. This is according to Apex Clearing, which looked at three million accounts from its brokerage partners. Penny stocks also made the list for the first time ever. There was some consistency here, though. Younger investors are still very committed to Tesla at number one, followed by Apple and Amazon. Those have been the top three since 2019. But meanwhile, younger investors dumped those so-called return-to-normal trades, which had been among their top holdings last year. The airlines and cruise lines moved down on the list, as well as those vaccine makers. And as far as those YOLO trades, Microvision climbed to number 40 on the list after being unranked in the prior quarter. It's trending on Reddit and Twitter this week. We also had skills, as you mentioned, trending thanks to Kathy Wood. And the Biden tax plan is creating a lot of buzz and some anxiety with this group. If they got into the markets during the pandemic, they've also likely never faced capital gains. The GIF here, guys, says it all. Back to you. Good use of that, Jeff, Kate. Um, it's not, it hasn't just been, you know, equities. There's been asset classes that have been extremely popular with the millennial or Gen Z retail investor, uh, cryptocurrencies, NFTs as well. Have you seen any evidence of that sort of moving into the equity markets in terms of Coinbase? Has that name been moving up? 
That's right. So Coinbase wasn't mentioned, but a lot of the blockchain stocks have moved up. We mentioned penny stocks. Some of those smaller names that do things like crypto mining have just soared. Anything with the name blockchain or crypto in it has become a popular bet. And analysts from Apex were saying this is majority based on online forums, things on Twitter, whatever's trending, whatever seems to be tied to a meme or some sort of momentum on social media is rising in that list. And people sort of go to Reddit and these online forums for their trading tips. Yeah, the meme stock and the meme coin era, too. Kate, thank you so much for that. Coins. Uh, coming Dogecoin, up on the show, exactly. how easy it is to... <laughs> Dogecoin. I wasn't going to say my name. That's it. Uh, coming up on the show, we are going to talk Tesla's autopilot feature and how easy it is to trick it. Tech Check returns in just a Shares of Tesla under pressure again this morning after consumer reports demonstrated how to fool Tesla's autopilot system, showing a Model Y will drive even with nobody in the driver's seat, which, of course, follows that tragic fatal crash of a Tesla in Texas last Saturday. See how the engineers pulled it off and what Elon Musk said in response only on CNBC.com. John. And speaking of Elon Musk, uh, that other transportation company of his, SpaceX, with a successful launch this morning. Astronauts on their way to the International Space Station as we speak. Plus, Facebook exploring changes to the news feed algorithms. Tech Check is back in two. Earlier this week, we told you about the hacker group holding some stolen documents related to Apple's product plans and threatening to leak them unless Apple pays $50 million. Eamon Jabbers has more on the group's practices. Eamon? Yeah, John, that's right. This group is called R-Evil. It's a suspected Russian hacking group based in Eastern Europe or in the former Soviet states. And we talked to Mark Bleicher at Arate Incident Response, who's tangled with them in the past. They've analyzed 173 previous hacks by R-Evil and come up with some interesting trend lines. Take a look at the cost breakdown here. Uh, they normally are nowhere near the $50 million mark. Their average ransom demand is 728000 The average ransom paid much less than that because of the negotiations, just $129,000 paid according to Arate. And the maximum paid is $3.1 million, according to Mark Bleicher. The interesting signature here is that this group is uh, known for getting into a company's data, extracting the CEO's cell phone number, and then just calling the CEO to harass him or her and sort of taunt them about losing all of their data online uh, and demand these big payouts. That's unnerving, says Bleicher, to a lot of the CEOs who have to deal with these calls coming in from Russian-accented figures demanding money from the company. But he said uh, he is used to doing business with these people on a regular basis. Here's how he explained it. They run their organizations like legitimate business. If you're respectful and professional with them, you'll get the same back. If you take a different tone and you're argumentative or combative uh, right off the bat, then that's what you're going to get back. 
So no word yet on exactly where all this is going to land. The demand for $50 million has been made. No indication whether Apple will pay such an enormous sum to these criminal gangsters uh, potentially located in or around Russia. We'll wait and see what happens there. But the group has not dumped any more data onto the web. They threatened to release data every day. So far, according to our sources who are looking on the dark web, they've only done that once. Uh, so it's possible here, we don't know for sure, possible that negotiations are underway or possible uh, that this thing is on hold while both sides try to figure out who has the upper hand. Back over to you guys. Eamon, it seems to me like Apple's one of the last companies that would pay in a situation like this, in part because of their history. They've had product leaks before that they've handled, uh, well, not like this. And uh, also because there's such a huge target. If word gets out that if you steal from Apple, they're going to pay up, everybody is going to steal from Apple all the time. Right? What's recommended by professionals in a case like this if you're a company? Or is there no standard? Well, there is a standard. We talked to FireEye about this yesterday, uh, and they told us something interesting, which is you, first you have to figure out exactly how badly compromised you are. As an ongoing concern, is your business threatened? If it's existential, right, if your company can't exist without this data, then a lot of companies decide they've got to pay. Uh, but if you f feel like you can have a workaround here and you can tolerate some of this data leaking out, then, then you simply tell the hackers to get lost and don't pay them. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, that FireEye raised with us is the possibility that this public sort of shaming of Apple on the dark web it might be the result of a failed negotiation that already took place. That is, they tried to get paid, didn't get paid, and are simply uh, banging their chests now and putting out some Apple documents as a way of getting some attention for themselves and maybe prompting some other targets in the future to pay. This might not be about trying to get Apple to pay necessarily, but just to set the tone for corporate America generally. We can get everybody, including the big guys, so the next one ought to pay us. Because you're right, John, this does put Apple uh, sort of in a corner here. If they pay them, it'll be very public, it'll be obvious, uh, and it'll be a big sort of humiliation for the company. They might not want to do that, and they might be inclined to simply take the hit here in terms of the leaked data. Yeah, fascinating, uh, the behavioral dynamics uh, of that story. Eamon, which you've been the tip of the spear on in terms of covering. That's our Eamon Javers. Eamon, thanks. Uh, Facebook is making some changes to the news feed, asking users to rank and provide some feedback on the posts that they see in a series of tests that will influence the future newsfeed algo. Uh, some examples include identifying content that the user finds inspirational or selecting stories they want to see less of, such as politics, while another survey will prioritize which content gets filtered through and placed up top, whether it's from friends, groups, or pages that you follow. Interesting wrinkle there as Facebook does some tweaks, John. Yeah, uh, well, they're all about following the data. They've been so good at it, Carl. The Nasdaq, speaking of data, negative on the week, on pace to break a three-week win streak. Peloton is this week's biggest laggard. Netflix, a big loser as well. Subscriber growth there slowing. And inter uh, investors selling shares of chipmaker NVIDIA after the U.K. began a probe into its deal with ARM, citing security concerns. Don't go away. More Tech Check straight ahead. Julia, we had a blast last night with Tech Check's uh, streaming show, looking at the future of entertainment ahead of the Oscars um, on Sunday. What was your big takeaway? We talked to so many interesting people. 
Well, Dee, there's been so much digital transformation of the media and entertainment space over the past year of the pandemic with films going direct to consumer and the rise of new streamers. Last night during our live stream, we put a spin on our usual tech focus with a look at the convergence of tech and Hollywood featuring a powerhouse lineup of leaders across film, TV and streaming. Take a listen at some of the highlights. Let's bring in Kevin Mayer, chairman of DAZN. Thanks for having me, Julia. And is it Deirdre or D? You can call me D, especially on the OTT platform. When we stream, we call her D. I'm just a big, big believer in the value of sports streaming. Consumers love them. They're willing to pay for them. Big fan bases. If you do it right and present it in a high quality way, you can win and make a lot of money. What's going on with HBO Max? We've added 11 million subscribers to the HBO Max, HBO total in the year in the U.S. On the direct-to-consumer side, that was 40% growth from Q4. But we're super happy with that momentum. Liz, CEO of Hell Sunshine. When Hello Sunshine was founded, I want to say 4% of films were directed by women, where like, women make up over half of you know the movie-going audience. Franklin Leonard, the CEO of The Blacklist. We have needed to do much better for a very long time because the sort of social and cultural consequences of not doing better are catastrophic. There is $10 billion a year in revenue being lost because of anti-black market bias. Tim League. We have this one single data point of 75% of people that came to see Godzilla vs. Kong at the Alamo hadn't been to a movie since March of 2020. What we're seeing is the emergence of the vaccinated coming back and what do they miss most getting out and having experiences out in the wild. You can watch the entire hour-long conversation on our CNBC Tech Tech LinkedIn and Twitter pages. John, over to you. Great stuff, Julia. And for our crowdsource, we asked you how you thought an increase in the capital gains tax could impact Silicon Valley, bouncing off the ideas of Tim Draper. Here's one viewer uh, adding some sarcasm, quote, I have a great idea that I'm passionate about and it could make me richer than 99.9% of the global population. Wait, I'm going to get taxed on my billions? Ah, never mind. I'll stick with my job at the grocery store. Backing Draper's side of the argument was user James Mason arguing, Tim is right. Money goes where it's treated best. And billionaire venture capitalist Vinod Khosla getting in on the discussion, saying he disagrees and that he's actually, quote, quite supportive of the increase and that while lower capital gains may increase investment, there's collateral damage to society. Carl, last time I checked, Khosla still a legend in Silicon Valley, not so much in North Korea. <laughs> the North Korea line definitely got some people's attention, but still provocative. You don't bring Tim Draper on if you don't expect something provocative. And our thanks for him, to him for joining us. Uh, as for next week, guys, man, it's going to get awfully busy. You got the Fed and the Bank of, uh, the Bank of Japan. Uh, the president's going to address Congress. We'll get our first look at Q1 GDP. And then the wave of earnings continues in what we the, will be the busiest week. Names like Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Ford, uh, Caterpillar, McDonald's, and a lot more. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.